to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaefer. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. episode of the podcast, Jeremy and I are both in Las Vegas at the SharePoint Conference 2019. How are you doing, Jeremy? Good, man. Vegas is doing its usual disastrous thing to my voice. Ain't that the truth? I feel like I've smoked at least 20 cigarettes <laughs> and that's just staying in the hotel room I'm in. And water is so expensive, you think it's in the middle of a desert or something, for crying out loud. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so this week, we are privileged to have with us in the room, Jeremy Kelly and Kathy Du, both from the SharePoint product team. And uh, we'll start with you, Jeremy. Why don't you give our audience a little bit about yourself, what you do, and what interests you? Um, so I've been with the SharePoint team, I think, seven or eight years now, um, since the 2013 product cycle, um, and I work on all of the API surface, so Microsoft Graph, uh, classic SharePoint REST and CSOM. Um, I like to think we are the API shepherds for the team. Um, we build a fair portion, but we also work with the rest of the team to do what they need to do and make sure everything's well documented and well designed. That's great. And also with us is Kathy, well known to many folks in the SharePoint community. It's always a pleasure to hang out with my buddies. How are you, Kathy? Oh, I'm good. Um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a little bit since we've hung out. And I also, like you guys, am suffering from the Vegas voice problem. But I travel with a travel humidifier when I come here. So it's helping me out a little bit. <laughs> I, I benefited from Kathy's experience. Helpful travel hint when you're coming to Vegas, One bring more. a travel humidifier. <laughs> And so uh, one thing I know about the, this week, Kathy, is that they had the 10-year anniversary of Women in SharePoint, oh, which you are yes. a part of. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, but what is your role these days at Microsoft? That's, yeah. So I'm on the uh, program manager on the developer platform team, and I kind of focus on several different aspects. Um, I work on the store aspect of it and integrations with AppSource. Um, and then I also uh, work with Jeremy on APIs. And then um, I also am starting the work on the SharePoint branding features. So I kind of go a little bit across the board. So branding features. I remember we branded something together, I don't know, 2007, 2010. Something like yeah, that, yeah. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> um, and so now you both mentioned APIs. So why don't you give us just an overview of what you're thinking around APIs when it comes to SharePoint? Sure. Um, SharePoint, you know, I, I think Jeff alluded to it in the keynote this week and on the, the virtual summit. You know, SharePoint's got this struggle between being both a, a product and a platform. Um, and so we have a long history of platform and APIs and, you know, we've had, you know, all the way back to WCF type um, uh, APIs and, and going through the CSOM and REST and now into Microsoft Graph. Um, Microsoft Graph is definitely the direction we're headed. Um, we've got a fair amount of coverage, certainly for the files side of things. So if you're working with OneDrive or document libraries, we have good access through the, the Graph APIs for working with those. Um, and we're working to close the gaps on the SharePoint lists side as well and the rest of the kind of assorted bits around uh, managing sites and building sites. Those are all things that are top of mind for us. Um, we definitely want to close the gaps and make it our first best and always uh, API for SharePoint. Um, but there are cases where we're still working with the, the classic APIs and we're certainly always here to help people 
people when they have questions and, and get things working. Yeah, we've definitely been working really hard to to close the gaps that for getting people to use graph APIs for SharePoint and OneDrive and and really focused on the last few months, especially around uh, APIs that people use to scan for information around files and lists and really taking that and, and going out and working on those graph APIs because they're much more performant and they're really going to give you a better output for your app and performance for your app. It's definitely going to be much better for your users if you're using the, the graph to make those calls. Yeah, we kind of started out with an idea of picking the largest used scenarios and closing the gaps. And then mid last year, we pivoted to say, we need to close the gaps on the things that are impacting the service the most. And that includes app developers as well as the end users. What are the APIs that really need help? Um, and so we really focused on things like notifications, infrastructure, and being able to query for changes with the Delta query through Graph and making all of those things better. So we've had some new features there. Um, and that's really where a lot of our short-term investment has been. And we're hoping to get back to the broader investments soon. And then I guess one of the questions I had from my talk yesterday was uh, what, for people that are in SharePoint, whether they're building SharePoint framework web parts or if they're using more traditional you know, add-ins and so forth is, well, we've already got all these APIs available to us straight there and then inside of SharePoint. Why, and some of them are, why are we doing double hops to go do auth and then call the graph? But that's not the case. So how do you explain that? Like what's the benefit to developers that way? I like to think of the classic SharePoint APIs as a very thin layer on top of SQL. Um, and so that means you're very close to the metal and you can get a lot of power, but you also have a lot of risk. And I think what we're finding is there are a lot of apps out there that did the thing that was obvious, but turned out to not necessarily be the best performant thing. And so with Graph, we have a, an opportunity to look at the API design, look at how it's implemented, and really make improvements to the way that different different APIs work. Um, and so there are cases where we'll actually make you have to think ahead of time about whether you want non-indexed fields in some cases. So the API will be smart and not actually return them by default um, and make sure you either select them explicitly or have to pass a header that says, I understand that this is not going to be indexed and, and super high performance. Um, and so those are all ways that we're trying to, to kind of improve the API design um, to really be resource oriented like the rest of graph is as opposed to just a very thin layer of query like the classic APIs. And I kind of look at it in an analogy that I've used at times for people is that over the years, things modernize and improve. And so think of your toolbox at home. And, and many times I take out my screwdriver and I want to use my screwdriver to do something. But I also have a cordless screwdriver that is automatic. It's battery powered. And if I use that, it takes less effort for me to use that screw. Um, and so I can combine them. So maybe there are those cases where I go back to my manual screwdriver to get that through. And so there, uh, there are many times where I'm using that cordless screwdriver and it works great. So that's kind of my graph piece. Like it's modern, it's great, it's working every way I need it to. But there's some of those rare instances where I need to go back. And so we try to tell people to go, if there's a way to do it in graph, use graph. 
And there are some cases where we have gaps that graph doesn't meet that. And so at that point, that's when you go back to your REST APIs or your classic APIs to fit that gap. But it should be a combination of the two and it should be graph first. Um, and that's kind of how we're trying to pattern people is to really start to look towards graph first. We've really done a lot of work to modernize and improve those and make them better performant and optimized. I have a real life story around that. So just a couple of weeks ago, I was helping a, a fellow developer on a product we were doing and he, he was from a React background and was able to make some calls and go do this and go do this and go do this. And then it came to these arcane SharePoint things that aren't in the graph. And I said, I, I, never mind, I'll do it myself because so just you should think graph first because as, as you as the graph itself gets better, it's it's more natural discovery, I find, of it. And certainly when you find those spots, you know, we have user voice forums where we definitely want to hear what are the priorities that people have, um, because it's easy for us to sometimes miss some of those hidden corners of SharePoint and not realize just how impactful they can be, because there are the big ones that are obvious, um, like taxonomy um, is a big missing one that, you know, we've been talking more openly that there is a team working on that, and that's going to go straight to graph. Um, we're going to be skipping um, kind of the classic SharePoint REST endpoint there to go straight into the modern design and, and make that work. Um, and so we know where some of those big ones are, but the the corner cases are the ones that we always appreciate seeing the, the requests come through in user voice. And I guess there's a engineering cost of maintaining all these APIs and shipping on different things too, right? There definitely is. Um, and in a lot of cases, we find out that there's a cost internally that we, like our first party apps are using many of these same APIs, right? Like we've tried to make a very strong push that first equals third um, when we talk internally to teams about what they're building. Um, and it's easy to forget that, oh, there's this case we didn't optimize. And then somebody finally takes a look at it and we can really make the first party and third party scenarios better by um, having a single endpoint that we have to optimize instead of going back through and saying we've optimized the graph and the rest and the CSOM and the, you know, the, the endless other permutations. Um, the graph make endpoints make it a lot easier for us to focus on one rather than I, I many. I made someone's day showing them that the .NET SDK for graph works in .NET Core and they had a bunch of console apps there running to do certain things and you know they're asking oh it can see some do this yet and when's it going to work for .NET framework and i'm like no 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 like you can already do this today and you know for the scenarios that you had it all worked on the graph so it didn't you know it didn't make a difference yeah, yeah one of the demos i'm showing in my session here at the conference is a console app using .NET core using the graph sdk um, for just about everything um, we've had some pleasant surprises as we found the sdk is actually really well designed even for cases where we were returning errors and we fix it and start returning data the sdk has picked it right up um, so i definitely leverage that a lot and i think the new sdk snippets in the docs in in graph docs have made are, are great like we've been showing those to people at the booth here um, and being able to have a reference call I used it myself last night getting demos ready I'm like I can't quite remember how I'm supposed to do this and the 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 snippet for the SDK actually got me going so that it was super. there's some feedback I, I wanted to give you and Daryl Jeremy that uh, 
early on in the SDK life, there'd be a service that would come on and maybe things didn't work the same or the shape looked funky or there was a reference made, it was kind of weird. Now, But now Jeremy Kelly's point about the SDK just picks up data. So it's almost like the SDK is laying the roadmap for all the services as well. Right. So, and back to the point about graphers directly to, to, to rest endpoint, if we're all following the same path, it'll be much easier for all involved, both the service and the consumer. So, it's, so uh, a good job uh, again to, to Daryl and the yeah, that's been fun. That was a good. That was one of the first things the Nairobi team did in Kenya. Um, is is extending some of the work we're doing around docs, and it's all auto generated. None of that's hand cranked, which is testament to those guys working at how to go do that. Yeah, yeah as a partner team, it definitely is appreciated yeah. that we didn't have to go mark anything up. We just got a whole lot of benefit <laughs> in our docs, well, and it makes us look good. We had so we appreciate the, that. The original proposal was, well, we'll just get the partner teams to go and add all those snippets for their APIs. And I looked at the uh, Daryl and was like, I, I'm not going to get in that conversation with 20 different PMs <laughs> to add more work to their It's flight. not that we don't want to. Yeah. We, now we have magic. always a, a resource I, I question. I was engineers focus on giving us the APIs and if there's a way to automate the documentation, yeah. that's great. Yeah. But docs are a core part of how we approach designing for graph. Right, like right. historically, docs were the last part of the process and I, I think we've mentioned this publicly before, but our process for designing things for the graph is the developers, the developers write the documentation as the contract first. And we review that as a team before we actually start implementing the API. So then your your docs become your source of truth with did the API work right because it matches the docs or not. Um, and we've been able to build tooling around that as well that's helped. Um, so it's it's a change in philosophy about about designing APIs and I think it's made the the product better. It's made the the way the team works better. Um, so and I hope that it may it makes the docs a lot better too because um, I know we have a history of not always releasing high quality docs of the function is the function that does the function. Oh, yeah. Well, back in the day, um, we could just you know, reflect on the, the DLL and figure out what's going on. Yeah. That's a little bit more difficult. So that's appreciated. Yeah. You know, and so we've been talking around a little bit, bits and pieces. We should probably take a step back. And, and there were some announcements here at the conference this week. So I'm um, wondering if uh, you could uh, at least give us an overview of the announcements that you found noteworthy. Sure. So we've, you know, we talked a bit about things at Ignite. Um, and so we've got some things that we had talked about before that are now really shipping. So our analytics APIs, um, you can get all time analytics and last seven days, both on individual items. And I believe on the site level. What do you mean by that as well? Because I got asked that question earlier on and I was like, oh, I don't actually know the straight quick answer to that. It really comes down like for if the thing you're looking at is an item, it's kind of the page views type oh, okay. number. So it will give you an action count um, associated with that item. Um, I think Include file downloads because everyone always asks how many times is the document downloaded? That is a okay, good no, no. question, and I'll I don't know the answer, improve, but so th this is, the yeah, and this is a case where I think even even now we had okay docs to start, and we'll, <laughs> we'll be improving them, um, but it gives you both those all time and seven days, and so those just went, we had them in beta um, for quite a while, and they're now at 1.0, um, so they're fully available and supported. Um, we had talked previously, and I think this goes into, we alluded to working with kind of scanning apps or high vo volume apps. Um, and so notifications and change management is a big part there. So for webhooks, um, SharePoint now supports on the drives endpoint um, security events. So before you wouldn't get notified when 
permissions changed on an item. Um, there's a new preference header that you can pass into the API when you register your webhook that will tell the, the webhook to actually send you notifications when ACLs change on an item. Oh, cool. um, so this is for anyone who's building a data loss prevention app or anything else that needs to in understand permissions um, and when permissions change. Uh, this is a, a great feature that we've added. Um, to go along with that, we've done a ton of work in the Delta API or Delta Query to be able to understand permissions. So there's kind of a combination of headers. Um, there's a hierarchical sharing header that we had released previous, previously, which allows you to understand just where unique permissions exist in your tree of items. So you don't have to query every item's permission. You only have to query the ones that are unique. So usually you can query your root, get the permissions, and you never have to ask for all the children as long as somebody didn't uh, break inheritance. Um, along with that, uh, we have brand new uh uh, header that's coming out which will allow you to get an indication in the Delta API that the reason it showed up is because the sharing changed or because the permissions changed on the item. So normally when you get a Delta response it just gives you the current state of an item um, and so we've added an annotation for this scenario that says the reason this changed is because somebody shared it or because somebody changed the ACLs. Cool. Um, and so that's another that one that makes cool. some voice as well, right? I remember seeing those. It's entirely possible that it was. Um, we've been working pretty closely with a couple of vendors to to really optimize this scenario, and so it kind of came through there. And I know yeah, Kathy's been Yeah, we've been working really hard to make sure that we understand the scenario as to how people are using these APIs, so that we, um, in making these optimizations, that we're able to make the correct optimizations and really understand what is it that you want to know about our permissions change and what is it that you want to know about a change in a file. So it's been a really interesting kind of journey of working with a very few people and looking at, you know, what are they doing? And it's been a fairly broad swath of people as to different scenarios and trying to find what's the commonality That's amongst right. them. So then how to ship an API that works for all those different ones. Yeah. yeah. The thing that strikes me as you describe that is now I have to have headers for certain things. Are these required? Because it seems different than everybody else. So what's the thinking around no, why No, I think header? the reason that we consider them preference headers is because they're just that. They're preferences. <laughs> so the API works. Get something, you still get a response. response. Yeah. The API still works as documented. These are additional pieces of functionality that don't quite warrant a new endpoint, but are... are changes you want to do. And it, um, it may not be something that you were interested in, right? So you may not care about a sharing change, but you may care about the document. And so giving it as a preference header allows you to really kind of dig in and customize what you're getting back and to really kind of give, like, make it to what you need. The, the headers are used a lot in the Outlook area as well in calendaring for time zone things as well. So there, there is a standard there that we're using across the graph for those yeah. things. And it, it's nice because we don't have to change the contract for Delta or webhooks that is the same for all the other workloads. You can get some SharePoint point specific and OneDrive specific behaviors, but it's still the same model as if you were 
asking for Delta on, on one of the other workloads or subscribing to another workload. Yeah, and I think that's a great point to get out to developers is that things just work, but if there's this extra thing, maybe it costs more to run the back end to run, or maybe it's because it's more work on your end to parse the response. You have to flag that out of time. I like that model. That's brilliant. Another area we've really been looking at is how to find site collections. Um, and so this is, I think it was, it's been a problem even in, in Seesaw and Rest with SharePoint. Yeah, this has been a really long standing thing that SharePoint, just as a product and even internally, we didn't have a good solid list of all the site collections that you have in your tenancy in SharePoint Online. And really exciting that with this one, it's not just your SharePoint site collections, but it's also your OneDrive for Business site collections. So it's both one in one return. So you can really go through and and get both SharePoint and OneDrive for Business. So it really gives you a good holistic view of what's being created in your tenant. The demo tenant that I gave you, Jeremy, only had a couple users in it. So it was pretty easy to to miss that they were there. But so um, the details there are the slash sites endpoint in graph. Uh, Historically, if you've attempted to call it directly would give you an error message that said you can't enumerate sites. Um, And so we're changing that so it will actually return data. Um, The caveat being it'll be an app only token scenario. So you'll need application permissions. It won't work for delegated scenarios um, because it's not security trimmed. The list that comes back is all the things. And so it needs to be kind of tenant admin approved and we've built it for that application scenario to start. Um, We've looked at whether we can do it for tenant admin user account, but we have not built that yet. It's something we're considering. So if that's important to you, put it on user voice. Um, But this opens up a whole lot of scenarios where you need to know what the map of the the tenancy looks like. Um, You'll be able to do Delta and webhook on that endpoint. Um, Delta should come out at the same time as our beta. Webhooks may follow a little bit after. So that Um, way you'll be able to listen for new sites being created. You'll get new site creation and and other other operations there. um, and along with that, um, this is kind of implementation detail, but along the, with that, you'll also be able to then get Delta and webhooks on SharePoint lists. Um, so you've been able to do it on document libraries through our drives, but we're now adding the SharePoint list endpoints as well um, so that you can get get those same notifications, which are great there. Because build, we had a demo that Jason Johnston built where um, we had a flight list. And when you added the flights to the flight, it triggered an Azure function that then went ahead and provisioned the whole flight side and team and group and planner but because the webhooks didn't work on the list um, we kind of cheated and used a document library and had a document upload that would trigger the webhook so this is nice now that we don't have to like so if I if I create if I create a plan or a team will I get a webhook that the new site has been created Ooh, I stumbled. That's a good question. You should because it'll get. There's a timer that's running and and watching for new site collections. There are a few system site collections I think that we exclude from, um, but for the most part, I think anytime you create a group, anytime you Most do of one the of those site things, templates, it generates we even a site. 
the sites associated with a team, those all show up because they're and site it, collections. It tells you in the when you get the list back, I believe it tells you what kind of site was created. So it'll tell you team site or communication site in the the response. Well, and I've run into folks who say, "Well, I create the team, and I'm and I'm waiting for the team. You know, I have to pull for the site collection to exist because it's not instant on. Yeah. So this is a great. Yeah. This way, you'll be able to get the web hook, and you'll know when it happens. Um, in a more limited scenario, um, we're also introducing a followed sites API. So if you've seen in the OneDrive user experience or on SharePoint Home um, or SharePoint Start, page, I think we're calling it now, um, there's a section of sites that you're following and that API uh, wasn't necessarily available um, to third parties before. So we're opening that up um, and that'll be coming very soon as well. And that lets you do things like seed your users with sites that you think are interesting for them throughout the organization. Oh, yeah, it opens up a lot of kind of employee onboarding scenarios and things like that, that maybe you're bringing new employees into the organization and I want them to automatically follow a certain subset of sites. You'll now be able to do that through this API. And, and, and I'm, I've seen dozens of web parts written about We'd love to have maybe on my whatever whatever site I want to have a list of the current users personalization. So you've unlocked all that too. Yeah. So I'm actually I've built for my demos for my session. One of the the demos is using the followed sites API to be able to put a site collection picker in the configuration panel for a web part, um, and being able to actually target yeah, the site exactly. the, yeah. target the site collection <laughs> yeah, you want. Right. Yeah. At the top and the rest of the bottom. yeah. Usually, like in past samples we've done oh well here's the the list picker from all the lists that are in the current site because you knew that context <laughs> um, but now you can actually build a picker that will be and it's relevant to the user because it's the sites that they're following and you can supplement that with search if you wanted to go broader but it gives you a nice starting point for being able to do that the pnp file picker control we should probably loop in the, on that that's good stuff and you, you mentioned search as well. Like, wh where's that going? Like, I know, obviously, I've been on stage talking about Microsoft search as a broader thing and the graph, but how does that map to the strategy where Sh SharePoint and OneDrive are coming in? We, I think, are all in on Microsoft search is SharePoint search. Um, I think there's a journey to get to where that is the absolute truth where all the things that you could do with SharePoint search historically are now available through Microsoft search. Yeah. Um, but we're really excited that we're on that path. Um, and I think that will bring more power to um, SharePoint and OneDrive in the graph. Right now we have some basic search capabilities. You can search for files that are in a drive. You can search for sites by name, but you can't do necessarily all the scenarios that you could through the, the old SharePoint search. And so we're excited that the new Microsoft search is going to open those up over time. Um, not necessarily on day one. I think it'll be a, a growing learning API like most of our scenarios are, but I think we're getting better at shipping those early yeah. pieces of the API that show you where we're headed and rather than waiting until it's all done at the end. Um, so I think it's a, it's a net win for everybody that we're really excited for. Yeah, there's a lot of partners that are using search in different ways that wouldn't necessarily be what you'd think people would be using search for, right? Yeah, it's really interesting to kind of delve into a little bit. And we've gotten to see a lot of that in our work on these high volume apps that we've been working on and kind of the interesting ways that people are using APIs to perform actions and tasks that maybe we hadn't thought of before. And a lot of those are search related. And so seeing those is really kind of helping to inform the team that is working 
working on the Microsoft Search APIs for SharePoint as to, you know, where we might need to go in the future. Yeah, if we peel back the curtain a little bit, one of the things that's really cool about working on Graph is that even though we're a whole bunch of different workloads all kind of doing what we need, there's a central kind of review process for adding new stuff to Graph. And so getting to work with the teams on, you know, Microsoft Search and seeing them shape their API with input from all the different teams, like there's a way to actually have that forum that in the past you wouldn't have had. You know, you would have had just Exchange do its thing and SharePoint do its thing. And and we and we get to create uniform patterns in that review process by making sure that SharePoint's doing it the same way that other workloads are doing it, you know, if for slightly specific reasons. But it's it's great to go in and see those consistency and patterns and naming conventions and paths and and all of that across all the workloads through having that centralized graph review process. Yeah. And it, it definitely has made the APIs better. Um, we actually had a proposal for our site enumeration API that was less than ideal because we weren't sure we could do it the way we wanted to. And that review process helped us get to what we, the real best answer is to use the slash sites endpoint. Um, and we wouldn't have gotten there necessarily if we hadn't have had that push from the, the broader group. So it was helpful. The takeaway uh, in talking to a few people at Move today was this notion that, you know, that obviously here we're target audiences, SharePoint developers, but just broadening your horizon and thinking a bit more about being a Microsoft 365 developer. And I do see Microsoft Search being that first forcing function where as a developer, you're going to get results back that aren't necessarily files or list items. Yeah, yeah I think it's interesting, especially um, in our team, the developer platform for SharePoint, we have SharePoint Framework as well. And especially as SharePoint Framework has started to expand out and now you can build SharePoint Framework solutions as tabs and teams and you can have Teams tabs running in a SharePoint page. And so as we kind of look in that kind of future direction of really looking at it as a platform and being able to have solutions that work across workloads, um, it really does make it kind of this kind of unique concept of I'm not just a SharePoint developer anymore. I'm a right. Microsoft 365 developer. And how do I use these consistencies so that I can reuse components across different solutions and different workloads? And it's been a really interesting kind of progression to watch. And tying that back to our initial conversation bit was a graph versus SharePoint REST API, right? So if, if I'm a developer and now I'm in SharePoint, I'm in SharePoint, I do a search and now all of a sudden search returns a team something or other. How do I, I can't use SharePoint REST API to get that team. So really as a developer, mm -hmm. it, it, it's incumbent upon us to move to the graph and then we're going to light a fire on you guys. Hey, bring bring more over as fast as you can, right? It's yeah. not a, it's not a, you should, in, you should do all of the, those updates overnight, right? Like it's yeah. a planning process. It's understanding, do you have pain points in the API usage you have today? Are those areas you can move to graph? Are you naturally doing a rewrite of an area of your code that would benefit from using graph? Like I don't, we are not by any means saying those REST and CSOM endpoints are going away. Yeah, Jeremy's sitting here with scissors to the servers for the REST API. <laughs> we know that's not not going to happen. So, but we want to we want to get to that point where the benefit of using graph far outweighs the cost of that moving. And and we appreciate when people have told us, you know, you're not there yet. 
I need more or I need you to explain it better. Like those are all helpful things from the community. I love the connection that the SharePoint team has to its community. I think it's unique, yeah. pretty unique at Microsoft. It's, it's very like obviously Exchange goes through the same thing with EWS and other APIs there, but just the the level of feedback the SharePoint community give versus Exchange is very different. Well, but it's a two way street. I, I, as a non-Microsofty, I'm at a conference, either it's Ignite or Tier or whatever, and then to see you guys out on the expo floor, and I've never, I've never seen a short answer from you three specifically, right? It's in depth, it's thought through, uh, you know, and and it's a great opportunity for folks to, as you say, tell them the pain point. So. Um, Part of that community is because of the effort you guys do as well. So as an outsider, let me say I thank you for all that, but it's really great. And, and if you have a chance to see these folks at a conference, certainly bring your questions. It was definitely a really interesting, and I know Jeremy, probably for you as well, coming into Microsoft as somebody who was a part of the community before joining Microsoft. And then, and for me, like we have a few people here at SharePoint Conference who have never been to a SharePoint Conference or an Ignite before. And so they kind of asked some of us from the community to kind of try to prep them a little bit so they didn't feel quite so overwhelmed. Um, but it is, it's really interesting because that's kind of some of the things that we told them is like, don't be afraid to be honest and answer the questions that people bring to you because that is the, the greatness of the SharePoint community is how involved they are and how willing the community is to share feedback. And it, it definitely is a great benefit to those of us who are trying to determine what we need to do and what we need to build and where we need to go is getting that feedback from the community. And it's why we do things like listen to the user voices and read those and um, look at the GitHub issues as they're put in for things where people are really having problems with it. And, you know, I know I still monitor Twitter and, and different outlets like that. I know Jeremy does as well. And I know you do. Jeremy's do that as well. <laughs> Reddit is another source. I know there's a SharePoint Reddit forum. I see stuff pop up from there and occasionally go and say, I saw this question from a customer. Uh, do you know the answer internally? We're actually building a tool that's going to help PMs that, like monitor Stack Overflow and like a few other services so that as a PM, you go to one place and it will just tell you because uh, it can be overwhelming as a, a PM to check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the role of like program management at Microsoft is, I didn't know what it was when I joined yeah. 13 years ago now. Like I've been seven years in, in SharePoint, but 13 at Microsoft. Um, and I, PM is just like a thing that is kind of, I thought was unique here because it wasn't a thing that I did before. Um, and that role has changed a lot over time. And so, you know, we used to have dedicated community PMs that were your job is all you do is the community. And now it's really everybody's kind of expected, at least in our team, to have some level of interaction. And while, you know, Vesa is kind of, you know, the joke is he, he got a Dear Vesa t-shirt this week, Vesa Yuvonen, um, because he's always out there in the community. But, you know, we're all connected in some way to to the group and and it's just really cool to have changed to, to have seen PM change that way from people who sit in their office and write specs all day to people out working with the community, understanding the pain points and really making the, the dev plat better. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun for me. This is uh, SharePoint conference last year is one year. This is my one year anniversary on the team. So I joined the SharePoint team from the as a program manager last year 
at SharePoint conference. It was my first week on the team. So it's, it's, it's my like one year anniversary (laughs) on the SharePoint team. So it's, it's been really interesting to kind of see our team evolution over the year and how far it's come because I was involved as a brander and a developer for years before joining the team and just seeing the progression in the last year and, and how things have progressed and the pace that things are progressing and how how much of that is influenced by the community has been really great to watch for me. It's interesting because we didn't really have, when we thought of SharePoint developer platform previously in the last, let's say even two years, it was mainly focused around SharePoint framework <laughs> and how do you build client integrations with SharePoint. Right. And it, we really kind of, we brought the OneDrive and SharePoint developer teams together and OneDrive was the opposite. OneDrive was entirely focused on APIs rather than building integrations into OneDrive UX. And so we really now have a balanced team that can can be just positive across the board for developers. And looks even beyond just APIs and SharePoint framework. We look at Fluent and Fabric and reusable controls and different ways to do many things that developers are doing. And so it's really a, a, an over, you know, more of a holistic view into a developer platform. So if people want to follow you, what's the best way to follow you guys <laughs> if they're not already? I'm not sure which of us has the more unusual (laughs) Twitter handle, but you can go first if you want, Kathy. Yeah, so I am catpaint1 on Twitter, and on most social media, you can find me via catpaint1. It goes back to the fact that I actually have a painting degree. I have a fine arts degree, Um, and so that's why catpaint1, so it's a lot of fun. I had never intended for my Twitter handle to be work-related, and so it's the same as my gamer tag, which is fizzlenick. Um, Good luck kind of spelling that, but if you find the other SharePoint developer community people, you'll find me too. Um, Kathy will often tag me, or Vesa will tag me occasionally. Um, uh, I started out so my handle originally came from EverQuest back in the day oh, when okay. when MMOs first started up and I've kind of just kept it along the way through everything that's come out so I'll play a little bit of everything cool well excellent no this was this was great I'm so glad you guys took time I know it's been a busy week in many ways but thanks for taking time and I'm sure the listeners will appreciate it thank you for having us yeah thank you guys for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 